morning and welcome to Calvary Raleigh Church. If you are new here, I hope you've had a great experience so far. We would love a chance to be able to connect with you and we also have a gift card that we want to mail you just thanking you for being our guest. You can get a digital connect card by texting the word welcome to the number on the screen. Again, that's the word welcome to 919-355-9147. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. At this time, all of our kindergartners through fifth graders are now dismissed to Kids City. Your leaders are in the back of the worship center waiting for you. Parents, they will be picked up today at the end of the service in the Kids City room. Sunday, July 4th, will be online worship only. We will not be here in the building worshiping together, but we invite you to join us online at calvaryraleigh.com forward slash online and also on Facebook for our service on July 4th at 10.30 a.m. to be here with you this morning. We just got back from a week of camp at Liberty University with Fuge Camps with our students, and it was an amazing week. About halfway through the week, I started coming down with some sort of sickness, and my voice started going out from worshiping and yelling at the mega relay and all that. So I asked that you would bear with me if my voice goes out. I guess that's just the Holy Spirit saying, your time's up. Everyone go home, right? But what I want to do is I want to show you a quick video around five minutes so you get an idea of what our students did at camp this summer. You might say, I don't really care. I'm not in the student ministry. I would say this. We are a church family, and anytime a family member does something exciting and God moves, we share with the family, right? So that's what I want to do for the uh, next few moments in our time, and then we will go to the Lord in His Word. So if you could play that video and uh, see what the Lord's done at camp this week. Regardless of what we're going through right now, we can rest in the fact that we know that Jesus is faithful through the good times and the bad times. 
through the mountains and the valleys, through whatever we're going through, Jesus is faithful. I gotta say, there's nothing like summer camp. Summer camp consists of a lot of different things. There's a lot of sleepless nights, long nights, early mornings. There's a lot of questionable food. There's a lot of sunburn. There's a lot of smelly teenagers who decide they don't need to shower every day. There were multiple times we saw our students and we were like, 
think you wore that yesterday. We need to change. There's a, there's a lot of dehydration, a lot of steps. I think everyone was getting over 20,000 steps every day. There was a lot of soreness. I looked at Paul Carson who came on our trip and at the last night he looked at me and he said, Jackson, I think my body's reached its limits. I don't think I could go one more day. And I was like, I agree with you, man. I'm right there with you. But summer camp with all the, all the mess and all the uh, sleepless nights and all that, it consists of a lot of powerful things. It, consists of nights of just amazing worship with 1,100 students with their hands lifted high praising the Lord. It consists of teaching and preaching of God's Word throughout the day. There's nowhere where teenagers can go and they're constantly thinking about God's Word in everything that they do. There's the forming of new friendships that happens, the commitments to Christ that are made. There's students and leaders stepping outside of their comfort zone there's sin that is exposed, and there's salvation that takes place. We saw all of these things happen this past week and more at summer camp. The nights of worship, as you saw just on the last little bit of that video, were spirit-filled. They were powerful. There were nights in our small groups where the students were like, man, I was tearing up in worship. That was so amazing. It was crazy. Some of our students that I would have never said, they'll, they'll never raise their hand. They'll never put that hand up. By the end of the week, they were singing with their hands lifted high, praising the Lord. I'll tell you, there is nothing like standing in a room with 1,100 teenagers and hearing them say things like, I will delight in Jesus, or I will build my life on you. There's nothing like camp. There is nothing like camp. Throughout the week, through small groups and the preaching of the word, our students learned about the theme dwell. We talked about how darkness is all around our students through sin, through struggles that they're facing in life, through mental health battles. Students are surrounded by sin, but they learned this week that Jesus Christ is their refuge. No matter what they go through, no matter how dark the darkness seems, Christ is always there. They can always run to him. At the start of the week, I had conversations with students, and they were saying, I'm not sure where I need to go. I know I'm not living for Jesus, but I don't know what my next steps are. By the end of the week, those same students were praying with other students and saying, I know what I need to do when I get home. It was beautiful. It was amazing. There were new friendships that were formed. Students who, I would say, they were on the outside of our youth group. They didn't really have a whole lot of friends. By the end of the week, they were just a part of the group. They were welcomed in with open arms from uh, late night games of Red Rover at 11 p.m. to wrestling matches to all sorts of amazing things, to praying with each other one-on-one -on -one at night. It was beautiful. Christ was working. The Holy Spirit was moving. On the last night of our summer camp, all throughout the week, we were talking about IMB missionaries who were uh, ministering to refugees that were fleeing Venezuela because of the oppression and the uh, political and economic crisis that they're facing. Our students collectively raised over $6,000 to send to these missionaries and the church planters in Pittsburgh. These are students who more than likely had around $50 that their parents sent with them to camp, and they raised over $6,000, which is amazing. I think our students could teach us something about how we should view money and how we should give to missions. I was watching our students pass down 20s and 10s and 5s. They were giving, not out of an abundance, but because they knew it was God's will. It was amazing. But I want to show you this picture on the screen. This is the most beautiful thing that happened this week at camp 
One of our students who came with us, who decided to uh, come to summer camp, uh, the picture should be on the screen, maybe not, I, I might not have put it in there, that's my fault, it's, a, it's been an early morning, long week of camp, but one of our students placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I want to hear you guys just clap that up, celebrate that, that's why we do camp, that's why we don't sleep at night and we take off a week of work to go to camp because God saves students at camp, so we just want to celebrate and thank God for that. If you gave, if you prayed, if you helped to drive a bus, I just want to say thank you. God was working this year at summer camp. He was moving in mighty, mighty ways. And we are so grateful for everything that he did. And students, if you didn't go, go ahead and mark your calendars. Uh, make a note. You're coming with us next year because we want you to be a part of all that God is doing. So I want to do something different this morning. If you went to camp, and I know not all of our students are here, but if you went to camp, I want you to stand up. And if you're a leader, stand up as well. Stand up. Go ahead and stand up. If you went to camp, stand up. Stand up. These are just a few of our students who came to camp with us. And what I want to do is I want to have a time of prayer over these students and our leader. And what I want you to do, whichever student is around you, I would love for you. This is going to feel a little weird because we're Baptists, right? But we can do this. I would love for you to just lift a hand in the direction of that student as we pray over them. Almost all of our students stood up the last night of camp saying, I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to rededicate it. I want to follow the Lord. So what I want to do is just pray for these students. We've got one in the back, so make sure you turn around and, and reach out a hand to him. So let's pray for these students. So you can go ahead, lift your hands up, and pray along with me as we pray for these students and all that God did at camp this summer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now so grateful for summer camp, so grateful that we're able to take a group of students away from all their struggles, uh, away from all the bad influences, and take them to a place where they can worship you, where they can hear your word, they can be around God-centered gospel community. We're thankful for all that you did with these students this summer, how you spoke to their hearts, how you convicted them, how you challenged them. God, we pray that this would not just be a mountaintop spiritual, emotional experience, but that it would be the start of changed lives. We pray for the student who placed his faith and trust in Jesus. Pray that he would begin to walk with you daily. Thank you for welcoming him into your family. He is now a son of the Most High King, and we are grateful for that. We pray that this would be a start of something amazing in our student ministry, that these students that went to camp would come back and lead, that they would set the tone, that they would stand for you and point others to Christ. God, we are so, so grateful for these students. Help them as the devil is going to attack them and try to get them to do everything but follow you, Lord. We pray that they would stand tall through the power of your Holy Spirit, through standing firm in your word. We lift these students up to you, the ones that are here and the ones that are elsewhere, Lord. We lift them up to you as a church body saying, these students are yours. God, bless them. Keep them safe. Help them to dwell in you and to find refuge in you. Let the rest of the church body learn from these students on what it means to worship, what it means to give, what it means to seek you. Let these students set an example for all believers in the church. And Lord, as we turn to your word and we turn to the book of Jonah, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would do something mighty in our student ministry and in this Sunday morning worship. We pray that your Holy Spirit would move in mighty, mighty ways. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So you guys can go ahead and have a seat. We are so grateful for all that the Lord did in their life. And we're grateful for salvation, right? 
It's amazing. We're hoping to see that every Sunday and every Wednesday in our student ministry and in our uh, church and at Kids Blast. We want to see souls saved in the kingdom of God advance. And we're so, so grateful that that happened. So now I want to make a transition to a question, very important question. This question will really tell you a lot about yourself, a lot about who you are. And the way that you answer this will kind of show where you're at in life right now. And this is the question. What is your favorite Disney movie. Think to, your, think to yourself, what is your favorite Disney movie? I grew up in Florida, uh, so I grew up going to Disney, uh, grew up as a big Disney family, we love Disney, uh, all that. This question is important, think about it, think about it. Disney is something that everybody loves. When I was a kid, if I was watching something on TV, it was more than likely uh, a Disney show or a Disney movie. And one of my favorite movies was Finding Nemo. And we all know uh, probably the movie Finding Nemo, how uh, Nemo decides that he's going to disobey his dad and he's going to swim out and try to touch the boat. And as he swims out and he's taunting his dad Marlin saying, oh, I'm going to touch it, I'm going to touch it. He gets scooped up and kidnapped and his disobedience to his father starts this whole crazy journey of a little fish in the big ocean and his dad Marlin has to chase him down and rescue him. When I think of Nemo, I think of him as a runaway fish and tonight or this morning we're going to be talking about Jonah. And when I think of Jonah, I think of Nemo because although the, the stories don't perfectly align and they're not perfect parallels, we see Nemo as this runaway disobedient fish and what we're going to see in Jonah's life is that he was a runaway servant of the Lord, a disobedient prophet to God. Tim Keller would call him a prodigal prophet, similar to the prodigal son. Jonah, or uh, yes, Jonah's story starts with disobedience, but we get to see God work in his life. And the main idea, the main point that I want us to see this morning is this. A God who is rich in mercy seeks those who run away from him. My hope is that after we look at Jonah chapter 1, what we will stand in, what we will walk away knowing is true, is God is rich in mercy and he seeks after those who run away from him. We in this life, when people run from us, when people do us wrong, what do we do? We normally cut them off. We normally push them away. We normally say, oh, that stinks. They're just going to have to struggle. They're just going to have to hit rock bottom. I'm done with them. But God doesn't do that. And praise the Lord that he doesn't. He seeks after us. He chases us. He saves us by his mercies through Jesus Christ. And the book of Jonah will make that clear. And I'll be honest with you this morning. I was going to go a different direction. I was going to be in the book of First Thessalonians, but after camp, I felt a uh, kind of the Holy Spirit leading me to go a different way because this is something that we see every year at summer camp. In a, a room of 1,100 students, it became very clear that many of them were not following Christ. Like I said on the last night, almost all the camp stood up saying, I need to follow Jesus better. There's things in my life that are not right. I need to rededicate my life or give my life to Christ. Many of those students, like Jonah, like Nemo, were running from the Lord. And I would say that's probably true of many of us in here. Whether we realize it or not, we are running from the call that God has placed on our life. And so my hope is that as we look at Jonah, we will, one, realize if we are in right standing with God and we'll walk away resting in his mercies and realizing that we need to turn around and seek him. So if you would read with me in the book of Jonah, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It said, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. 
He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And this is my first point. I'll have two points this morning. My first point is this. God has called you. Will you run? God has called you. Will you run? Our text begins with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. God is speaking to Jonah, and it doesn't tell us how God speaks to him, if God gave him signs, if he spoke directly. We don't know what happened. God spoke to the Old Testament prophets in in many, many different ways, so we don't know how the word of the Lord got to Jonah, but we do know this. Jonah knew for sure that God was talking to him. Sometimes we feel like the Holy Spirit might be leading us to do something, or, or God's word might be telling us to do something, and we're not sure. Jonah was sure. There was no doubt in his mind that God was speaking to him, calling him to do something. What was he calling him to do? We see in verse 2, it says that Jonah was called to get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil had come up before the Lord. Jonah was called to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to them, call them to repentance, to repent of their evil deeds and follow the Lord. That phrase that their evil has come up before me carries this idea that the Ninevites were so wicked, it was like their wickedness was this aroma that was rising up to God that he could smell, that he could sense. They were so bad that they demanded a direct response from the Lord. Because of his holiness and his hatred for sin, he could not let the Ninevites go on and continue in their wickedness. So he was sending Jonah to them to give them a chance to Repent. He had to address the Ninevites' wickedness. Maybe you don't know about Nineveh, or you've forgotten, or all you know is the VeggieTales version, but the Ninevites were not good people. They were known for torturing people in humane ways. They were known for skinning people alive, cutting their heads off, and making huge piles of skulls around their city. They were wicked people. Jonah was not being called to go to the sweet old lady next door to share the gospel. He was being called to go to a very, very dangerous place. This would be like if God called you to go to the Middle East where they behead and kill Christians. You might pause. You might be afraid. Jonah did not want to go as we see in verse 3. It says that Jonah gets up and he flees. He flees to a place called Tarshish. Instead of following God's will for his life, he runs. And it's funny, he runs actually in the complete opposite direction. One commentator would say that Tarshish was on the complete opposite side of the world from Nineveh. Not only does he disobey God, he doesn't just delay in following God. He literally goes as far away from God's will as he can. It's funny, he tries to flee the Lord's presence, which we all know is impossible. But Jonah, in his disobedience, tries to do that which is impossible. The people typically assume two reasons for why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And the first one's simple, right? It's he was scared. These were wicked, awful people. And there was a good chance that he might die. There was a good chance that he might experience some sort of harm. It's understandable, right? God calls you to the Middle East and you might not be jumping on a plane right away, just clapping your hands as you're going there. Scary. He was afraid and he was struggling to trust God and God's plan for his life. The other reason is found in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. This is Jonah speaking to God. He says, That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you're slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. 
Jonah knew that God was gracious and he didn't want the Ninevites to be saved. Jonah believed that the Ninevites deserved God's wrath and God's punishment, not God's compassion and mercy. Jonah had a plan that was different from God's. And that's why I would say there's a third reason for Jonah's rebellion. Not just because he was scared, not just because he didn't want them to be saved, but this is it. God's will for Jonah's life was not Jonah's will for his own life. Jonah and God were on two different pages, and Jonah followed himself. I believe that Jonah came at this crossroads in his life where he had the word of God and he had the will that he wanted to do for his own life. It was God's word, Jonah's will. And it was a crossroads. He could only go one way. He could only take one path. Is he going to follow God or is he going to follow himself? And we see that Jonah ultimately follows his own will, his own desires, which is tragic. We face these crossroads every single day. It became clear at camp that many students were uh, in a uh, crossroads when it comes to following the Lord and the Lord's sexual ethic that's placed out throughout the Bible, right? Isn't it clear that God's word says that sex is a beautiful thing designed for marriage between a man and a woman? But we see people all the time faced with this. They know what God's word says, but they still struggle with pornography, Or married men and women struggle with the thoughts and the passions to commit adultery. Or teenagers struggle to enjoy, uh, not enjoy sex outside of marriage. Or some people are just eaten up by lust. It's a deviation of God's word, but we're faced with a crossroad. Will I follow God's plan for my life or will I follow my will for my own life? Maybe you know that God's word calls you to love your enemies, but there's a person that you hate. And you would much rather hold on to your bitterness, your envy, and your hatred for that person instead of forgiving them. It's a crossroads. Will you follow your way or God's way? Maybe you're a student who went to camp this week, and you feel God calling you to do something, but you also feel yourself calling you to do some other things, to go back to your own ways. And the question is, student, what will you do? Maybe you're in this room and you feel God calling you to do something radical with your money. Like give to a missionary like Melissa Smith who was up here a few weeks ago or to give to an organization like Hand of Hope Pregnancy Center. Maybe God's calling you to use your money in radical ways, but you feel called to use your money on yourself, to buy more Bitcoin or to buy more toys or to get a nicer house or this or that. We face these crossroads every single day. Sometimes they're not huge decisions, but they're small things. But every single day we are faced with the question. We need to ask ourselves, who am I going to follow in this moment? Myself or God? And that sounds really silly when we put them up next to each other. Who are you going to follow? The God of the universe or you? (laughs) But yet we all struggle with this, myself included, daily to put God where he needs to be and to lower ourselves. Who are you going to follow daily? Jonah was faced with the decision. Was he going to submit to God's will and go to Nineveh? Or was he going to follow himself, to gratify himself, to seek himself? It's interesting. As we read the text, it says, Jonah got up to flee Tarshish from the Lord's presence. One commentator would say that this verse serves to announce emphatically that Jonah was unwilling to serve God. 
the fact that he tried to flee from the Lord's presence was an open, just blanket statement that he was rebelling against God's command for his life. Jonah was not following the Lord. And let me say this, anytime we disobey God's commands for our life, we find ourselves in rebellion against the God of the universe. That's not a popular message. That's not a message that will grow large crowds of unbelievers, but it's true and it's biblical. Anytime we disobey the commands that God has placed on our life, we find ourselves rebelling against the God who designed us, who has a will for our life. Willful disobedience to God is rebellion. Parents, what do you do when your kids disobey you and don't listen to your commands? Are you like, oh, they're just so precious. I'm so glad they're not listening to me. No, that's rebellion against what you've set out for them. You've made rules and you've set up a plan for them so that they can do well in life, so that they can succeed. And when they disobey you, you feel hurt. You feel like they're slapping you in the face and rebelling. That's what we do when we don't follow God's will for our life. When he calls us to do something and we look at him and say, no, I'm fleeing from you. We are in a state of rebellion against God. And we all fall into this. Is there an area of rebellion in your life right now? Is there an area where you're looking God, looking at his word and saying, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather follow myself. Are you a runaway like Jonah? I believe this, and Tim Keller points this out, there are two kinds of runaways in this room. First, there's the unsaved runaway, right? It makes sense that this unsaved person is running from God. A non-Christian doesn't love God, doesn't know God, doesn't seek God, doesn't care about God. And so they are running in the wrong direction. And this unsaved person, it's kind of like a Romans 1 kind of thing where Romans 1 tells us that unbelievers exchange the glory of God for the created things. The unsaved runner is running, searching for satisfaction and gratification and something to fill them up, but they can never find it. And this runaway, if they don't ultimately return to their heavenly father, will face destruction and separation from the Lord. But there's a second kind of runaway. There's a second kind of person that's running from the Lord, and that is the Christian runaway, the saved runaway. This person is a Christian, but is currently running from the Lord in some way. I'm going to give a few areas that we might be running from God. First, think of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It says this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Eric Redmond would point this out. Just like Jonah had a call to preach, every single Christian, no matter the age, no matter the race, no matter rich or poor, has the call of the Great Commission on their life. Do you realize that? If you are a Christian, you are called to go just like Jonah was called to go to the nations, to your neighbors, to your community, your friends, your enemies, your co-workers. You are called to share the gospel with everybody around you. Redmond would say this, when we are slow to tell people about Jesus or don't tell people at all, we are doing the very thing that Jonah did. We are rebelling against the Great Commission. I think I've heard it said like this. It's not a great suggestion, but it's the great commission. It's a call that rests on every single believer's life. Just like Jonah, you and I are called to spread the good news. Let me ask us this. 
When was the last time you shared the gospel? When was the last time you were faithful to the call of the Great Commission? When was the last time you dropped a blue ball out there in for your one that you've been praying for and seeking? I'm convicted of this as well. Some of us have family members that we know are not saved, but we've yet to share with them out of fear of rejection or awkwardness. Some of us have someone at school that we want to share with, but we're afraid that we might get made fun of. Some of us have had moments where we've just been felt led, whether it's in a grocery store, a restaurant, or just at the gym to share the gospel with someone, and we deny it. We push it away. We say, no, 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 that'd be weird. I don't want to be that guy. Great Commission rests on our life. Will we follow it? Will we seek to make the gospel known? Some of us are running from God's plan for holiness in our life. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, the will of God, your sanctification, that you may abstain from sexual immorality. Some of you just got back from summer camp and God is calling you to do something radical. We had kids say that they wanted to be missionaries. Kids say that they wanted to uh, start reading the Bible daily, start praying daily, start inviting people to youth group. Will you do that? Will you listen to what God was calling you to do? Some students had darkness called out in their life. Whether it was sin or a struggle that they haven't shared, will you follow through and remove that darkness from your life, students? Some of you got saved, and now it's time to begin to walk with the Lord. It's exciting. Will we follow God? This is the question that remains for all Christians in the room. God has called you. Will you follow him? Will we obey or will we run? God has called us. And think about this. This is amazing. The God of the universe, he created you, created me, controls everything, upholds the whole world, has looked at you and looked at me and thought we were significant enough to save us and then call us to be the vessels in which he shares his message. Isn't that amazing? That God has called us. God has called us to share his message, to follow his will. Will we obey him? Will we follow him? Hopefully we're not like Jonah who rejects the call of God. And it bears the question with the story of Jonah. We say, what happens with Jonah? What, what happens next? He disobeys the Lord. So what happens? And we'll see that Jonah runs, but God's mercy runs after him. So if you're running from the Lord right now, whether you're unsaved or saved, but you're running, listen to the next few verses. I'm going to finish reading the chapter, uh, chapter 1 of Jonah, but I want us to consider this. God pursues the runaway. It's beautiful. This is beautiful. Listen to verse 4 through uh, 17. It says this. Let me take a drink. I told you, camp, I'm struggling, so uh, apologies. Let's read verse 4. It says this, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up! Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. 
Come on, the sailor said, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who to, is to blame for the trouble that we're in. So they cast lots, and the lots singled out Jonah. And they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? He answered them, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do so that the sea will come down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that, I will, so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us perish because of this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood, for the Lord have done just as you pleased. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Just to quickly summarize that, we see Jonah enters the ship to flee from the Lord, and there's a great storm that comes, and Jonah falls asleep, and they, they come in, and they wake him up trying to figure out who's to blame. And they realize that it's Jonah, so they throw him overboard and they cry out to God for forgiveness, hoping that they don't have this innocent man's blood on their hands. Although he is not innocent, they cry out to Yahweh for forgiveness. And so Jonah's thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish. I think it's safe to say that this is some of the worst, some of the worst moments in Jonah's life, right? Would you agree? This is the worst time Jonah has ever been in. Jonah's rebellion towards God had led him to this awful place that he was in. His rejection of God's will and his lack of trust in God's plan has led him to be in the middle of this raging storm and in the belly of a fish. All this could have been avoided if Jonah would have just followed God. It's true. The safest place to be is inside the will of God. It's even funny, all of this could have ended if Jonah would have just cried out on the ship and said, Lord, forgive me, I will go to Nineveh. But he was stubborn and sinful. Set in his ways of rebellion, he continued to try to flee the Lord. This is a truth that you and I need to know. Sometimes our sin can bring storms into our life. Our disobedience often leads to difficult situations in our life. Sin brings storms. You are not designed to sin. You are designed to glorify God. So when you sin, storms often follow. And what this doesn't mean is that every single bad situation you've ever gone through is because you were sinning. What this doesn't mean is that if you get in the car and you drive home and your car breaks down on the way home, it's you're being punished because of sin, because you sinned in here, or, uh, you know, you looked at someone dirty, or that's not what it's saying. This is also not saying just because you get a, a bad diagnosis at the doctor, just because a family member gets sick or uh, a good friend from high school uh, gets cancer doesn't mean necessarily that they're, be, they're being punished by God. That's a misuse of this text in a dangerous road to go down. However, Tim Keller points this out. If you treat your friends poorly, treat them like trash, talk bad about them, stab them in the back, 
If you treat them poorly, you're going to find yourself with no friends one day. You're going to find yourself alone, desperate for community, feeling like nobody cares about you. Or he says this, if you treat your body poorly, if you binge drink all the time, you party it hard, if you do drugs, if you never eat a fruit or vegetable in your life, what's to follow? Bad health from the drinking, from the drugs, from the smoking. When we sin, when we disobey God, consequences follow. Sin has consequences. When we sin against God's will, it will bring out consequences because God has not designed us for sin. He's designed us to walk with Him, to love Him, to give praise and honor to Him. So when we go against His will, we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves in hardship and struggles. Jonah would have been much better off if he would have just followed God, but he didn't. So he finds himself in the middle of a raging storm and ultimately in the belly of a fish. But I think there's a a thing that we have to do. We can't give Jonah all the credit for what happens, right? We look at Jonah and say, oh, it's his sin that caused all this. No, no. Look at verse 4 and what it says. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. Let's not give Jonah all the credit for what's going on here. God is in the background moving and orchestrating all these events to happen. The great storm that is attacking the ship has been sent by the Lord. The fish that swallows Jonah in verse 17 has been sent by God. Some would say that this shows God's wrath and his hatred for sin. And surely it does. It shows us God's holiness. But ultimately, I think it shows us God's mercy. We see God's mercy that even as Jonah is running away, God is moving through the storm and moving through the fish to draw Jonah back to him. Because it's not until Jonah is in the belly of the whale in chapter 2 that he repents and turns back to Jesus. Sometimes a storm is the only thing that will bring a person back to God. Sometimes hardship and adversity are the only things that will make our heart turn back to God. Sometimes God sends a storm so that you return to him. If you lose everything in this life but gain Christ, you have everything that you need. It's not till Jonah hits, hits, literally hits rock bottom in the belly of a whale that he turns back to Jesus. I think, think of the Apostle Paul in Acts 9. What's he doing? He's persecuting the church, killing Christians, trying to stop the gospel from going out. And then a great light hits him as he's on his horse. And Christ speaks to him, throws him to the ground, blinds him. It says he has scales on his eyelid. It takes that situation to turn Paul back to the Lord. Paul goes from murdering Christians to building the church, all because Christ throws him off of his horse, brings him to the ground, and humbles him. Sometimes the most loving thing that God can do is throw a storm our way so we'll turn back to him. Because we're prideful, right? When we start doing our things our own way and we get success in this life and we start feeling like we're doing well, we say, look, I knew I didn't need God. I knew that Christianity stuff was just a bunch of rules. It was just a bunch of legalism. But sometimes God will bring you to your knees so your heart will come back to him. Sometimes God will knock you off your horse or throw a storm your way so you will come back to him. And that is the beautiful mercy of God. That is God's love for you and love for me that he chases us down even when we're running from him. 
Tim Keller says this, As hard as it is to discern God's loving and wise purposes behind many of our trials and difficulties, it would be even more hopeless to imagine that he has no control over them or that our sufferings are random and meaningless. Jonah could not see that deep within the terror of the storm, God's mercy was at work, drawing him back to change his heart. I agree with Keller. He does amazing work on the story of Jonah. All throughout the story of Jonah, we see God's mercy woven into it. God's mercy sends the storm to Jonah, sends the fish to swallow him. God's mercy allows the Gentile sailors a chance to repent on the boat. God's mercy sends Jonah to Nineveh to preach and call them to repentance. God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to save Jonah. He could have let Jonah go off and just live this awful life and called somebody else. He could have destroyed Nineveh just like he did Sodom and Gomorrah, but he gives them a chance to repent. He could have had the waves easily overtaken the ship and destroyed it and done away with the Gentile sailors who were worshiping other deities, but he doesn't. He gives them a chance to be saved. He gives them an opportunity to experience his mercy, his love, his compassion. This is the God we serve, a God who is great in mercy. Not to do away with his wrath or his holiness, not to make God sound like a pushover because he's not. We've seen his attitude towards sin throughout the whole Bible. But he is a God of great mercy and great love. That's why he sent his son to die for us. In our rebellion, God calls us back home. He sends his son to die for us. The same mercy that Jonah experiences, undeserved, unearned, we experience in the gospel. I was sitting trying to write out uh, sentences in a paragraph to help us understand collectively the great mercies of God, but I just couldn't describe it in words. I kept falling short, but you know what doesn't fall short? Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Listen to this. This is the great mercy of the gospel. These are the very words of God that do far much more than my words could do. If you're a Christian, rest in this. If you're a runner, rest in this. If you are unsaved, this could be you today. Ephesians says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience that basically says you were following Satan among whom all we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We did what we wanted. We were Jonah. But listen to this. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has made us alive together in Jesus Christ. Amen? This is the mercy of God. By grace you have been saved. Christians, let us delight in these words. We serve a God who is rich in mercy. If you're struggling to forgive yourself for sins that you've committed, you don't have to. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, through what Christ did on the cross, he has already forgiven you. Forgiveness is yours. Don't do or don't keep yourself from experience, experiencing the mercies of God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 should be tattooed on our hearts. It should bring us to our knees in worship. The book of Jonah 
I think, is ultimately meant to show us that a God who is rich in mercy seeks us out. God doesn't look at you in a, as a runaway and say, I have no, no purpose for them, but he seeks you out. And if you're in this room today and you're running from the Lord, I can't help but think you're here for a reason. That maybe in this moment, God is calling you. Calling you from sin. Calling you from struggles. Calling you to come back to Him. In closing, I have a few points. First, are you running from the Lord right now? The God of the universe has revealed through His Word a plan for your life. When we follow his plan, we experience human flourishing. I don't think we talk about this enough because maybe we're too afraid to slip into a prosperity gospel, but it is true. When you follow God, you do experience flourishing in this life. Not according to worldly standards, but walking with the Lord, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like walking day by day with the God of the universe. But when we disobey his plan, we face sins, consequences. Let me ask you this. Have you given into pride and started to believe that your plans are better than God's plans? Have you been like Jonah? Have you said, God, I know what your word says here. I know what it says there, but I want to do this. Have we given into pride? Have we thought we know more than the God, the universe? And then this, Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Notice the connection here. Jesus was in the grave in his tomb for three days and three nights. And after Jesus rose from the dead, he made salvation possible for all of mankind. Through Jesus' death on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, he satisfied the wrath of God and has made God's mercies available for all of mankind. If you're running, why not turn to the resurrected Savior who has paid for your sins and satisfied the wrath of God? I'm so excited that we got to celebrate with our student at camp who placed his faith and trust in Jesus. Now, he doesn't stand as a child of wrath, but he stands as a child of the one true King. That could be you this morning. Stop your running. Stop your pride, stop your selfishness, and turn to the God who created you, who has called you to bigger and better things. Through the cross, we can be saved and experience God's mercies forever and ever, not just in this life, but in heaven for all of eternity. Students, will you follow God's will for your life or your own don't be deceived. You can't do both. This is one of the biggest lies plaguing our young people. That you can live however you want to and still be right with the Lord. That you can look at God's will for your life, completely ignore it, and still be in right standing with God. That's not true. You can either be walking with the Lord or not walking with Him. There is no in-between. And students, I would call on you. If you went to camp, be faithful to what God called you to. If you're a young person in high school or getting ready to go on college, follow the Lord. Follow his will for your life. Our world needs students who deny themselves 
and follow Jesus. Be different. Everybody is living for themselves. Everybody is giving into their passions. Everybody is doing what they want. If you want to be different, if you want to make a change, deny yourself and follow Christ. Take up your cross daily. You want to see a change in our society? follow Christ. So many students are just overwhelmed with social justice issues. They're very passionate, which is good, right? It's good that we have students that want to see a change. But let me tell you this. The only way you will truly see a change in our world is not through getting on the latest social justice movement, but it's through placing your faith and trust in Jesus, following him and being a difference maker by going out and being the light in the world. Our world is surrounded by darkness. The devil and his demonic demons are thinking they're ruling and you can go out and be the change. Share the gospel. That is truly the only method that will help our world. Students, that could be you. Why not? Why would you not give your life to Christ? Why would you not deny yourself and follow him? next generation can do so much because let's be honest older generations are struggling in certain areas right the older generations see how younger generations struggle and younger generations see how older generations suffer and struggle so if we could come together and work together we could see God's kingdom advance on and on and on that could be you I heard it said by someone, they said, what would you do for the glory of God if you knew you would not fail? What would you do for God's glory if you knew you would not fail? Students, what would happen if the prayers that you pray every day were answered? What are you praying about? What are you wanting to see happen in your schools and in your families and in your workplaces? Students, let's get serious. To all the Christians in the room, when was the last time you delighted in the gospel of Jesus Christ? When was the last time you rejoiced in the great mercies that our Savior has lavished upon us? The truth of the gospel should bring us to our knees in worship. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were running, Christ pursued us. While we wanted nothing to do with him, he sacrificed himself. He sought after us. And lastly, like Jonah, God has called you to preach the gospel. Who is God calling you to go and preach the good news to? A church full of people who don't share the gospel is a church destined for irrelevancy. Let that not be true of us. Let us be a church full of people like the early church in Acts that go out and share the gospel with Christians, we are called. Let us go forth with uh, confidence that God, through the Holy Spirit, is empowering us to succeed in the Great Commission. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, working through us, moving through us. Let us go forth. Follow God's plan for our life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now as broken people in a broken world. We come to you right now as runaways. Many of us, if not all of us, are running from the Lord in some way or another. 
Lord, I pray for those that don't know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that you would call them to repentance here and now. Lord, if you can save Nineveh, if you can save Jonah, if you can save me, you can save that person. Lord, I pray that you would do that here and now. Lord, I pray for the Christian who's running, who's struggling, who's not seeking you, who's disobeying your will. I pray that this would be the day that they come back to you, that they experience your mercies once again that are new every morning. God, we praise you for that. Help us to delight in you, to delight in your mercies. God, let us be a church that is excited to share the good news that because of the mercies that we have experienced, we would go out and share the mercies with others. Let us not be selfish. Let us share the good news. God, we pray in the next few moments, anyone that has sin in their life that they need to deal with, that they would deal with it. Anyone who's running from you in these next few moments, I pray that they would return to you. Anyone who's just discouraged by life, in the circumstances that they're in, I pray that they would find rest and refuge in you and your gospel. Lord, thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. I pray all this in your name. Amen. In the next.